From Moses, the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, this is the In Her Boots podcast, a show about women cultivating the sustainable and organic agriculture movement and how she does it. My name is Lisa Kiverest, and I founded and lead the award-winning Moses In Her Boots project, providing training, resources, and support for women farmers. I'm a farmer myself, running in serendipity with my family in Wisconsin, and am the author of Soil Sisters, a toolkit for women farmers. The In Her Boots podcast celebrates the collaborative spirit of us women farmers and all women working to transform our food system and steward our land, sharing ideas and inspiration with each other. Whether you're a woman with a dream of starting your own farm or already have your hands deep in the soil, there's something for you here. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss anything. Today we continue our conversation with farmer and food entrepreneur Susan Waftel of Squash Blossom Farm in Orinoco, Minnesota, about a decision that proved to be life-changing, launching the farm midlife. Susan offers advice on how to parlay your past experiences into new farming ventures, and how she found the most important thing is to realize what you don't know, and that there's probably a YouTube video to help you out. Susan and her husband, Roger Nelson, run Squash Blossom Farm, a 10-acre historic 1910 farmstead where their vision is to combine local food, local art, and local music. Susan runs a diversified operation, running a vegetable CSA, baking for wholesale and farmers markets in their on-farm kitchen, and running a pizza night featuring pizza baked in their wood-fired oven. We are back here at Squash Blossom Farm with Susan Waftel talking about this beautiful place and the vibrancy you've created here. And your story is so inspiring, Susan, because this whole thing that is going on here on so many different levels and all the diversity is something you and your husband, Roger, really created midlife, right? I mean, you had other careers and other things, and he has still has his his feet in the architecture world, right? But you worked (laughs) in the nonprofit world. and, And we were talking in the last episode a bit of the process that you went through uh, personally to come to this place of the farm. But it's that there's a lot of women that come to our Moses in her boots workshop and just in many ways are driving this increase in the number of women farmers of women starting farms midlife in their forties and fifties. And, and fair to say there's pros and cons, right? I mean, as far as things, but what would be some of the skills you felt you, you brought to the farming world, having been in the, the working world, for a couple decades before, right? Um, well, working for nonprofits as the director, there's a lot of, <laughs> there's there's such diversity in what you do. You know, you're working yeah. with all different people, community members, um, community leaders, fundraising, grant writing, me- leading meetings, accounting, bookkeeping. Um, so yeah, all of those skills were really invaluable for what we we're doing. I didn't really think that it would transfer as well as they have. <laughs> well, not only transfer, but you went from working for an organization to becoming an entrepreneur, right? And doing it on your own. Right. Although for those organizations, you know, usually you're an independent contractor or you are leading the organization. It is kind of you're entrepreneurial. Yeah, yeah. You're work- I mean, working on your own a lot. But, but one of the things that probably was the most valuable skill that I brought was learning how to find out what you don't know. So, <laughs> so, and... What a treasure we have nowadays with the internet, because like when we got a milk cow and neither of us had ever milked a cow, my daughter and I, 
we just watched YouTube videos. That's how we learned, you know, and that's how we learned how to make cheese. I mean, pretty much anything about farming we've learned through books or the internet. Um, and sometimes we go to our neighbor who's a dairy farmer and ask them when we're really baffled. Uh-huh. Cause that was an area that you needed to learn, right? I mean, you didn't come here with that skill set. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> no. I was, I was really scared. Well, we first thought we, we would just get one of their bull calves, you know, and raise a couple of their bull calves for meat. Well, when we went over and saw those Holsteins, those are gigantic cows and it was very intimidating. So we started with a smaller breed without horns. Uh-huh. But, um, but, you know, that's a, a cow is a big investment and you really, you know, it's a, a living creature and you just have a lot to learn to know that you're, to take, to take care of it properly and that it will be healthy. And Yeah. So... So YouTube, were there books in particular that you... Oh, I have a huge homestead farming kind of library now, gardening. Um, Yeah, I've spent a lot of money on books. (laughs) Both at, I mean, every time I go to a thrift store, I'm looking through the books for good books, but also ordering them online. Um, Yeah, it is amazing. I mean, there is so much information available now. But you also, too, took advantage of different training programs or... Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are some things you recommend? Um, we were we we joined the Land Stewardship Project and and took their farm beginnings course. My yeah. husband and I. It's a year long course with. Um, and you were already on the farm. when We you were did on that? the farm. We'd already been here for two years, and we were kind of um, already thinking, what do we want to do with this place? Because we realized this place was such a treasure to us that we wanted to share it with the community in some way. We just thought it would be really selfish to just sort of have it all to ourselves um and we want to protect it and restore it and we're right on the edge of town and so we have this, you're really close to rochester we are yeah people but from, you're rural i mean you wouldn't know it we, yeah we're we are a quarter mile outside of city limits oh, with wow, little okay. farms all around us i mean so you got the best of it both right well yes and no because the development is marching oh, quickly yeah. this way so we're we're really threatened by that but we both, both Raj and I have this, I don't know why, why we do, but we have this ethic that we want to share, share the knowledge, share mm. the experience. I think someday this place might morph into kind of a folk school because we, we really have, feel like there's an educational role yeah, to, to be yeah. here. And families come and their kids get to see chickens and where eggs come from and meet a donkey or a cow. Yeah. see the bees at work there's an, a hive we can open and they can see the bees in there and uh, go in the garden and we can taste all the herbs and so it, it really does play a great role introducing people who are who this generation of people don't even have grandparents on the farm most of them so they don't even have that experience that I had as a child so yeah it's it's been really so fun we have a lot of families come out gone here. into it from the get-go with this educational mission and did the mm-hmm. farm beginnings program help you kind of crystallize that more into a business plan or how um, yeah the farm beginnings course it, it doesn't really teach you skills like uh, how to build your soil or do rotational <laughs> grazing or those kind of hands-on farming skills but a lot of skills about decision making and mm. building networks and uh, accounting and bookkeeping and um, one of the things was that by the end of the course we had built a business plan and it had all these elements in it and in our business plan we all presented them to each other okay and there's a real good like peer component there too yeah. right learning and from the, other yeah, people and in the same boat feedback from each other um, our business plan was 
crazy pie in the sky. It included a commercial kitchen and farmer's market and workshops and classes and music on the farm and art. And what's really crazy is that all of that is happening. <laughs> all of it, it except for the meadery so far, but we're oh, working yeah, on yeah, that. I, I heard you're working <laughs> on the mead. So at the time we were like, why not just go crazy dreaming up what we would love to do ideally if money were no object and we had all the time and skills in the world. And it's amazing. It, just by putting it on paper and verbalizing it and kind of envisioning it, yeah. it started to happen. So so your advice then would be to other women in midlife contemplating this to not not sell it short, right? I mean, to still right, put ideas right. out there because it can, oh, you know, some sometimes the older we get, the more mature we get or the more practical we get or the more do you know what I mean everything right. uh is not necessarily as wide-eyed rosy as it was when we might have been starting out but you you really came into all this with uh, you know the, the wide-eyed toddler thing. I'm just exactly. like yay we can do it all but no but that's really inspiring because I think you can let practicality or reality or your mm-hmm. whatever two three decades experience in the <clears throat> working world drag you down and it was I mean it was cautious optimism I think that that's a really good I way mean, to phrase it I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean I don't think we weren't recklessly undertaking everything we we tried to recognize the risks but at the same time I mean it, I think you have to have an element of creativity because creative problem solving and an element of really embracing the hard work I mean there's a lot of times we we work 15 hours straight baking for the farmer's market and then get five hours of sleep and bake a little more and go in. That's really hard work. And, and then, it was probably then, a physical aspect to your lives that you hadn't had before. It was. And when at, we did, at an age when you know you feel we, it more, right? Well, when we I moved know. here, we thought we're going to get in such good shape. And I think in some ways we have. We're both way stronger and healthier in a lot of ways, although we don't get that aerobic exercise that we used to get biking and hiking because we don't have time to do that, go to the Y anymore. <laughs> but in other ways, we're a lot Yeah, healthier. but physically you feel... And, you know, this is another thing. I think that it has been really healing. Like prior to moving here, I battled fibromyalgia for a dozen oh, years. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there were several years when I was very crippled, like unable to even walk upstairs. I crawled up the stairs and I walked in tiny baby steps, in a lot of pain. I could not walk with my family around the block because they would be a block ahead of me. <laughs> oh, gee, and, yeah, that's And tough. at that time, I was very depressed because partly because of the pain, and I felt like such an old lady. Like, how am I ever going to make it to 80 when I'm like this in my 40s? But I think a lot of it, a lot of the healing has happened here because, partly because I'm not sitting at a desk anymore. I am moving all the time. I really feel like that was... Uh, for my body, the worst thing I could ever do. And then also taking on all the stress of pleasing the world. And now I'm p- pleasing myself and my animals and my my farm. You know, I'm, it, it's oh, something I love so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, you, you really nailed it there. Because I think that describes the shift for a lot of women who start these enterprises midlife. It's in various ways, but it still falls under that doing what is expected probably, mm-hmm. uh, uh, or pleasing other people or, or fitting the norms, you know, mm-hmm. fair enough. And, and in many cases, like you might no regrets, but this is a different chapter. Right. And it's right. when you're embracing for yourself fully. 
that must be really empowering though. I mean, it is. I mean, well, and at the same time, I have to take into account my partner, my husband. Sure. Yeah. um, And we're right now, we're still dependent upon his main career to help pay our mortgage, which this farm, you know, partly because it's so close to Rochester, it's very urban. It was much more expensive and because it's in really good shape. Yeah. Um, So we could have bought a lot less expensive place further out or that needed a lot more work. But um, it's been worth it to us because it saves so much of his life that he doesn't have to commute. (laughs) He can actually be here. And we haven't had to fix up the old farmhouse. It's in pretty good shape. So, But, you know, he's still working sometimes 70 hours a week at his real job. Plus, he does the baking for the co-op in the farmer's market. So he he worked, and he does probably the majority of the handyman stuff around here. So he works really, really hard. And we're trying to work towards now his retirement in the not too distant future, hopefully. Well, retirement from, <laughs> so from part there. of it. Yeah, yeah. And then he work harder than ever here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it sounds too that it's it's bottom line good for you, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, you're thriving in different ways and that affects your health, your mm-hmm. personal health, your spiritual health, all those things together um but i I go back to what you were saying about that farming chapter of pleasing yourself right and and making decisions based on where your heart is but there's also a related economic side i think by following where your heart is you're you're doing the right things right and this farm has evolved and is thriving from a business perspective yeah. or on its way. In, it's in on a, its way. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's self-sufficient yet. Yeah. Um, when we first started, my goal was that all of the enterprises would help me support, would be enough to support the farm enterprises. So we raise a steer that supports having the cows for when we sell that steer for the year, buying the hay and, and feed for the cows. Um, when I do the CSA, well, my goal is that that covers all the costs of the seeds and planting stuff. And really I have a, a tremendous expense in flowers that because, I mean, this is part of my dream is that it's a beautiful place. Yeah, yeah sure. Plus, you need that. And, and I love flowers and plus we want it to be beautiful for the events and the weddings and things that happen here. A lot of reasons people have weddings here is because they don't have flower expenses. Yeah. So the CSA helps cover some of that um, expense. Um, so, you know, in the, so ultimately, we're just hoping that the enterprises cover the expense and that our other expenses wouldn't be any different than living anywhere else. Um, and it's it started out pretty well that way, and now we're starting to see a little bit of income, but a lot of that's going to pay staff because we've grown. So we're not really able to make it quite on our own without an outside income yet. Yeah, but, but, but working towards you're evolving it. towards You bet, you bet. Is there... A, Susan, advice you'd give a woman in your shoes 10 years ago or, you know, as far as having this dream and and feeling maybe a little bit of time pressure, but also uh, not sure, you know, in the sense of uh, can I do this or how should I do this or what could be a first step? Well, we did... Raj and I are list makers. <laughs> we <laughs> had we had so many like going out for supper with our notepads and doing like the SWOT analysis. Yeah, which is the um, 
I always forget to. <laughs> Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Yeah, yeah. And so we have... And just list them, one at right. whatever comes to your exactly. brain. Exactly. And then we would do uh, many, many scenarios of what if we had steers? You know, what would it... Co- we, You know, and it's like mildly informed because we don't have the experience we don't really know what the veterinary bills or will be or you know the things that we're not anticipating um but if you're doing it on such a small scale if you have a disaster with two steers it's not gonna break you i mean if, if you started off with a whole herd of of dairy cows that's a really big really big risk um so just starting small and learning i mean that i guess that's that would be my very best advice. Yeah, yeah, all good. All good. Terrific. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to our In Her Boots podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Kiverest, with the Moses In Her Boots project. This episode's audio engineer was Liam Kiverest of TechSocket.net. The podcast was brought to you by the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, Moses. The mission of Moses is to educate, inspire, and empower farmers to thrive in a sustainable, organic system of agriculture. For more information on Moses, in her boots, and a bounty of organic resources, check out mosesorganic.org.